The sponsor for this episode is the publisher Rootledge. They publish a wide range of books for pre and in-service teachers, teacher educators and educational researchers. Go to their website to find a lot of books and resources. It's rootledge.com. Well, the coffee is brewing here and I hope that you have an amazing day. Uh, Welcome to the podcast and I hope that you will sit back and relax and enjoy and that you will listen to this uh, podcast in the series Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. Enjoy the interview today. Yeah, so today I am here on London South Bank University and I am here with Professor Wendy Couchman and she is actually a returner to the podcast. So uh, I've started this podcast two years ago and uh, she is the first one that I will go back to and have a second interview because the stuff she talked about was very interesting and because my uh, interest or hobby is in uh, merging leadership and art. Yeah, so Wendy, uh, if we again ter- turn to our issue of uh, leadership and art, yes, and you want to focus maybe more on the leadership yes. part. Yes, thank you. So um, last time um, I, I talked quite broadly and since I listened to that podcast, I've perhaps thought more specifically about the importance of art and leadership. Um, My own background, um, I was a social worker with um, children and adult services, and then I went into higher education and taught professionals. Um, And obviously my knowledge base there was the traditional social sciences. But when I retired, um, I did a fine art degree, um, which was which was very modern and it was about more to do with conceptual art, which is what is interesting and mainstream these days. Um, and I could see that the arts and the humanities provided a kind of different lens or a different approach to seeing and that it would be useful to cross over perhaps more between social sciences and the arts and humanities. Um, it, it's a different language. Um, it's particularly relevant to professional practice of any sort um, because it deals with uh, people's skills with and the, and the emotional issues that are involved in that. And it's a different approach, again, from text and talk, which we rely on. Um, and so I, I've got very interested in, in that in terms of teaching and education of professionals in human services. Um, and the, the, there's quite a lot of um, literature in different disciplines on on this topic. Um, I mean, within philosophy, um, it's said that it's fundamental to human beings. Um, emotional learning is the earliest kind of learning we experience. Um, before cognitive learning, it, it's how the brain develops. 
Um, but, but as we grow older, we actually aren't necessarily aware of that. We, t- we take that for granted and we are very much conditioned in our education into learning skills and facts and proving those through testing and it's not so accessible to arts, arts-based learning. But um, it, the power of, of it, I suppose the power of the arts is it's a way of saying what's difficult to say or saying the unsayable or or making the visible making the invisible visible um, and that there's also sort of scientific evidence as well that the brain um, learns in this way um, very m- very strongly emotional learning which again I think as I said we're not that aware of because we learn through our interaction with the environment, um, we learn through our senses, sight, touch, smell, hearing, and that acts directly on the nervous system. And quite a few philosophers, scientists, and educationists have, have become interested in that and, and feel it's, it's an approach that's been overlooked or discredited over time. Um, No, it's okay. Uh, and so, somebody I've been visit, revisiting lately is a philosopher that was around at the time of Karl Marx and um, people like Weber, but has has not had as much recognition. And he's focused very much on the um, social interaction and how the world works at a more micro level. Um, and he, he actually does talk about culture and arts and, and says that in many ways it provides a, a bridge for communication, that if you have artistic artefacts of any sort, it's a way of communicating via those from one person to another. And it, it does it in a way by often simplifying, by that the, the artefacts often are a, a simplification of the, of the important elements of something. And that's true of lots of the arts. When you think of visual arts, obviously, um, the artist has selected key aspects which he wants to communicate to the viewer. Um, poetry is quite a good example because it's very condensed and it is condensed in an emotional way as well. Mm. It's, it's trying to get senses across. Um, and I think if you if you look at all of the arts, um, film, poetry, dance, uh, they, they all communicate in that way, and they can act as a, a case study in a way. And a lot of, a lot of people are getting interested in that as well. And and I was reading something recently that maybe um, rather than than creating case studies ourselves, we should look at literature or even get artists or um, writers to create these case studies for us because they have the skills to to communicate Mm -hmm. in this way um, the emotional issues. Um, So I I suppose we we know more about art in a therapeutic way. It's used in a lot of professions Mm -hmm. um, as a way of, of helping people and getting them to express themselves. But it's only more recently people are using it to educate professionals mm. um, and to think about it in terms of, of leadership mm. as well. Um, 
And, and, and do you think, do you think if we talk about training social workers, do you think it's more important to use arts to train managers in social work than kind of ordinary social workers? Okay. Um, yes, it's important for ordinary social workers because they need to communicate with people's emotional issues. That's the, the mm. kind of crux of it all. Um, but in time, they will come to be managers. They will become mentors of, of students, of social workers, and they need to help that person learn. And by using sensory things that that are based on emotional learning, then they can help that person address those issues um, perhaps more effectively. Mm. Um, the, I suppose one of the key things that people have talked about is that we want, we want people to become change agents. We want them to lead in time, yeah. whether they're leading individuals or teams or whatever. And that often means challenging very deeply held prejudices and values. And that doesn't happen easily. It doesn't happen with didactic teaching very effectively. People will absorb facts, but they won't necessarily question their beliefs, which may be interfering with the way of, 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 of dealing with a service or whatever they're doing. And what art can do, because it's going at that deeper level, is to make people think think about outside of the box you could say they're thinking about something in a different way and for a while that can be quite uncomfortable and I think you often observe that in professional education that people actually feel a bit um, disoriented and it all seems a bit ambiguous mm. and, they, and they want to pin it down and they and they want to get that uh, through that stage, but actually it is quite important to... It's a, it's a paradigm shift, I suppose, that you need to perhaps move beyond that stage of questioning your beliefs and maybe forming new ones. And I think that is what we're looking for in practitioners and leaders. I mean, we, we want people to be creative in that sense, don't we? We want them to think laterally. And, and, and you talk about uh, a lot that uh, art can help us um, get into the emotional learning mode. Uh, do, do you think that maybe in leadership we often kind of reject feelings and the more holistic and broad approach to human interactions? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I said to you before, we live in a, in a culture that, that's, a, that's audit-based. It's about being risk-averse. It's um, services are very challenged. Um, there are scandals. There are failures. People want to know what's going to change. Who's to blame? And that means that it's become very mechanistic. A lot of um, the way our services are delivered, that uh, there are stated outcomes. People have to tick boxes, and have to to evaluate and show that they're they're, they're improving. But in somehow that doesn't actually address the issues and still things go wrong. Mm. So I think um, what a lot of the literature says now is that we need, we need to bring our creative approaches mm. using arts or whatever 
back into the curriculum all the way through schooling and beyond in order to, to cultivate that kind of creative thinking which has often disappeared. It still is, isn't it? I, I, I know that you have uh, published some new articles since last time, which is two years ago already. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so what are any of the new findings that you have made in your new ar articles? Mm -hmm. um, well, the, the, the two other people I work with um, and have done publications and, and projects with before, we thought we should do a systematic review of um, art-based methods used in professional education. We actually limited it to social work because it was such a big field. Uh, and uh, we've, we looked at um, publications that from, from Western services, basically, really, North America, Europe and um, Australia, English, English written ones. And there were about a hundred or so, and we narrowed those down to about 20 and looked at those. What we concluded was that we aren't very much further forward in saying how how these methods work. They seem to work. Um, pe people say um, that that it helped the students, but what we said at the end of this was that actually we we need some more rigorous evaluation of these studies. Um, and we did come up with some recommendations that were based on on what we saw. So very often people had not got a very clear research question. They had uh, tried some an arts-based approach, and, and I think this is probably true of other professions, not just social work. Um, they tried an approach and maybe had then just uh, used the feedback that they got from students to say it seemed like a good thing. So it does need to be kind of properly designed from the outset. Um, there were also, it was difficult to compare because everyone had used something different. There were a lot of drama projects. Um, there were some drawing projects. Um, and they, they all had value. It's just from a research point of view, you can't say that um, the evidence is, is there yet. So I think when people do try these methods, it's a good idea to design it from the outset to see what it is you're trying, trying to prove. So is it your impression that uh, this thing about using arts in social work training, leadership training is still in the beginning? Yes, and actually, of course, um, there's quite a lot of resistance, too, for all sorts of reasons. One is the one I said, which is that services are very much geared to a more mechanistic, um, technical approach um, mm. of, of, of ticking boxes. Um, two is that, uh, unfortunately, from childhood, we've often been divided into those who can do art and those who can't. So if... Um, if you've grown up thinking that you're not very good at art, you probably won't actually feel very... Um, uh, you won't feel very comfortable trying trying it yourself. So we found that with colleagues, and they said, well, that's fine for you because you knew what you were doing and you were confident. Um, and so I have actually introduced something in some teaching myself, which were people who are practice teachers. They're often managers as well who have learners in their environments. 
Um, and so for one day in this module, um, we have a day called Seeing Art, Doing Art. And the idea is that they um, get confident in using arts-based methods themselves when they're with students in, team, in groups or one-to-one and um, helping them develop their learning through reflecting on what they've done. So on this particular day, we go to a museum where they have um, exhibitions of art that are to do with health and social care um, and get their reactions to that. And, and so, they, so these are lecturers in uh, some of them healthcare lecturers. and social work? Some of them are lecturers. Some of them work in services and oh. support learners. They're their mentors. Mm. Um, so there's a particular exhibition at the British Museum, but a lot of museums do this now, uh, where they have um, a lifetime exhibit with all the medication that an individual would take during their lifetime and all the certificates they get along the way. And there's one for a man and one for a woman. And of course, what it demonstrates is how um, how rigorous or how rigid, I suppose, how, uh, Western medicine is in terms of um, milestones and depending on medication. Uh, so that, that generates always a lot of, of discussion. And then in the afternoon we do um, something called seeing art, which is where I really address the fact that some people think they're not very good at art. And I've used something that came from a TED talk um, where it said anyone can draw. It was something called something like anyone can draw. And I get I draw a cartoon on the board and I get them to follow step by step and they end up with a cartoon that looks exactly like mine. So I've demonstrated in the first place that they can draw. And then as a group, or in small groups, they go on to visually only, through drawing, um, come up with a mural that um, is about their experience as a student. I mean, they they are learning to, to they are learning to support students, but at the time they're students themselves. So they, that works very well, actually, that they can express all the uncertainties and ambiguities of being a student, um, and they do it entirely through um, visual means, drawing, and it, we get the person who thinks they're the least good artist to do it, and uh, so try and overcome that resistance in that way. And when we kind of look at we look at these um, examples, of course, it, it communicates very strongly their uncertainties and their lack of confidence and their conflicts. Did, did, did I hear you right that you want them to do it in groups? Yes. Um, yeah. We, we we they start off just thinking about it themselves, mm. just drawing. Um, just drawing images that mm. express how they feel about being a student and then we get them to collaborate together on a mural that, that joins us together. And, and why do you do it in a group? Um, I think it was important to do both because they need to um, think about it themselves. And then, of course, it's like discussion of any sort. They come to see the common areas, and that again is a communication and a sharing that comes that comes through art. They're quite scary these sessions. I think that's the other thing about why it might be difficult to implement because 
I've read somewhere, it's in one of um, the articles we looked at for the systematic review, somebody said it was a bit like being in free fall because you're used to having lesson plans um, when you're teaching or, you know, in a meeting or whatever, you're used to having a plan and running through like an agenda. But with something like this, you can't predict what's going to happen. So you started off and you just have to go with it. And, And that's... Very, it works very well, but you have to be quite brave to do it. And also, it's a bit like anything, anything in the way of being a teacher or a manager, that you are, you have a sense that you might be being observed doing this. And so, so if somebody walked past the classroom and you weren't there because you were at the museum looking at the exhibition, or they walked past and everyone was down on the floor drawing a mural on a big piece of paper, would somebody think you weren't doing your job properly? And and it's so it's about feeling safe, isn't it? That mm. you um, feel you should stick to the rules. Uh, so I think that's all to do with there's a, the, it's difficult to sometimes convince people that it's worth doing. Uh, and so maybe we have to just work together with them more and more, because you get confidence and you're more likely to to try it yourself. And and uh, could um, could a way to make the students do this a bit kind of dangerous thing? Could it be that that the lecturer or teacher will uh, herself or himself kind of uh, I don't know step out into it together with them? <laughs> yes, um, I mean yes. In fact, what it means is you're not standing out the front, being in charge, and it's to do with power as well, isn't it? that you're sharing the power because you're sharing the task and you you then mingle with them. You, you, you actually walk around, listen to what they're saying, clarify, um, and you stay in, in the group with them, which is, I think, again, it's important to demonstrate um, that you're sharing the power and that you're not asserting yourself as the one in charge and in control. And, and for the murals in their groups, is there a demand from you and the others that they use colors, or can they do it black and white? We've we've tried different things actually. We have we have tried um, sometimes they can do it three dimensionally. So mm. we've had sort of um, putty, you know, like children's putty and uh, little bits of wood and things and, and models, plastic models. Um, so we've tried that. People do love it, and um, we've tried c- colour. Yeah, I, th- I think we have all of that available, and they use it. And what's interesting that the module itself is about all sorts of approaches to supporting learners, but a lot of them use this kind of exercise for their assignment. So in the terms of convincing people who aren't necessarily artists, it does seem to help. Yeah, time is running quickly, Wendy. Um, uh, shall we maybe return to the theme of merging leadership and art? Do you have kind of any more thoughts on why are the arts important in the area of teaching leadership to students? Um, what can leaders and directors benefit from uh, dwelling in art? I suppose you could go on to look at a bigger picture, couldn't you? That um, 
It, and it is about change. And it doesn't come just by teaching in a didactic way. Um, we, we want thinking doers. We want people who are able to be flexible and face uncertain situations and be creative about how they resolve those. And I think working with the arts um, develops that. And it, it's a shame it's not happening all the way through the school curriculum for that reason, that it, because it will continue to develop that emotional learning, which we're capable of all our lives. And ultimately, I think we want people that um, can not only challenge the way things are done in their practice, but that they can challenge policy that we want to develop professionals who will question the way things are done, perhaps on a national or international basis, and be and become activists themselves. I mean, I've, that could be controversial, but I think leadership does involve that kind of challenge at a at a macro level as well. And then maybe Wendy, so people who you and I who explore the merging of art and leadership could maybe have the critique from some researchers and from some leaders that, that why do you want to merge these two areas? Why, why can't art be just a relaxation and a private issue and then you go to work and that's where you do work? What would you say to people who kind of think in that way? Um, I suppose I'd have to go back to my own personal experience. Um, I said to you that I had been a social worker and an educator and then I did a fine art degree and I actually did installation art which is very participative and immersive so that you create um, a three-dimensional um, environment sometimes that people can uh, walk through and experience and I have done evaluations of that and found that people have really understood quite quickly what, what I'm trying to say. So for instance I did an installation about um, the, a, a dying person and the fact that, um, that they, they were seeking communication and it was being ignored and that, that came across in the, the way I selected items um, for, the, for the installation for people to um, experience. Um. Yeah, uh, actually, when the time is running out, <laughs> is, is, there, is there something at the end which you think? We still have uh, four or five minutes. So is there something at the end of the podcast? Well, I suppose that particular ex example of, of creating that installation m made me believe that that was as good a way of um, communicating um, issues about health and social care as writing about it. And so I have since um, discovered quite a lot of artists who are working in that way to create artwork, and, and particularly installation art, because that was my interest, to get those issues across. And often it's used in quite political ways as well. Yeah, Wendy, at the end of the podcast,
podcast if uh, some people maybe want to look up up some of the articles that you have written and other projects where, where can they go on the internet to find um, publications yeah I mean if just Google Scholar throws up quite a lot or um, ResearchGate or Academy um, those are all platforms for, for finding people's research I think most of the ones I've done are on there and I have done some about uh, using art um, in museums and, and so on as well. Thank you very much, Wendy. Okay. Was that okay? Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You are also welcome to join us on Facebook. There is a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.